Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about cumin. Yes, and I love cumin. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I... I... I feel like it's probably been around most of my life, but I, when I was in college, I started cooking with it, and then that definitely expanded when I got out of college, and now it's just something like, what is this missing? Maybe cumin. Maybe cumin. Um, Try that especially, one. Especially soups. Like, I feel like soups oh. all the time. I'm like, mm, maybe add cumin <laughs> or chili yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Cumin and, and and coriander, I think, are my two real real go tos. Where I'm like, what does this need? Let's just dump some of that in there and see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. But but for sure, pound for pound. Not that I'm putting in actual pounds. That would be quite a lot. Uh, uh, I use the most in chili. Um, I just made oh. my first batch of chili of the fall about a week ago. It's so good. I'm so happy with myself. Um, oh, oh. I am happy for you, too. I'm sad for me because I don't have any right now, <laughs> oh, but I'm no. very happy for you. <laughs> 
just so satisfying as the weather gets cooler, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And um, uh, there was um, mm-hmm. there was this used bookstore in my college town that also had like a little cafe and they would make soups and cumin was also one of their favorite soup ingredients. And so I really associate the scent of like a, maybe like a like a squash, like a cumin squash soup um, yeah. with with this with this lovely used bookstore. And you would get all the paper and the and the paperboard and all of those like good like kind of gluey book smells <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and then the soup on top of that and oh it was a beautiful place to be. That does sound lovely. <laughs> that sounds so nice. Um, for this one, you can see our past spice episodes. We've done quite a few of them now. Yeah, yeah, we have. I, I you know, I I sort of. When I'm kind of parsing out topics, uh, I, I try to, you know, put in different different categories of topics from from week to week, so that you know you're not kind of lumping all the same thing all in at once. Um, and I was like, oh, we could do another spice, and then I was like, are we running out of spices? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've definitely done a lot of them, but I think we've got quite a few more to go. And they always yeah. have such interesting stories because they get added to all kinds of things. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So, does this bring us to our question? It does. (laughs) Cumin. What is it? Well, uh, cumin is a spice that can be used whole in seed form or ground up into a powder. And uh, it's got this sort of spicy, heady, earthy, savory, bitter, warm flavor to it. Like, uh, like, like when you, when you come into a warm kitchen on, on a cold evening mm. and someone has been cooking something. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what we call cumin seeds are actually the, uh, the small dry fruits of the cumin herb, a uh, botanical name, cuminum, simonum, cuminum. Sure, one of those maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a small tender herb in the Apiaceae or carrot family. Uh, they grow to about three feet, like a meter high. It's got these feathery little leaves like its cousin fennel and will bloom with these pretty little clusters of white or pink or red flowers that, if pollinated, will develop these wee little dry fruits. Um, they sort of look like like skinny grains of rice. Um, narrow and oblong, but with ridges going the long way across them, uh, sort of green to gray-brown in color, usually a little less than a quarter of an inch, maybe like five millimeters in length, um, sometimes slightly curved. Uh, they also resemble another cousin, uh, caraway seeds. And boy, howdy, there is some linguistic confusion out there about that, because a few European languages call caraway some variation uh, on words that sound similar, like cumin. Mm-hmm. But they are fairly different spices, like like related, yes, but totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Flavor, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you're looking for the stuff in like rye bread or that's like served with Munster cheese or that's flavoring aquavit, you're looking for caraway. Um. Mm. Also, and furthermore, black cumin, wild cumin, and sweet cumin, all three are whole separate species entirely. Great. So, (laughs) 
So that was confusing in the reading. But anyway, uh, the the regular old cumin that is not caraway or those other things, which is what we were talking about today, um, is grown in warm areas. Uh, for example, northwest India and places like that. It's an annual crop. It's often grown during the mild winters and harvested during the dry spring months. Um, and yes, the seeds can be used whole or ground. Um, the primary flavor molecule in them is named for them. It's a cuminaldehyde. Uh, and you can really bring out the flavor by lightly toasting the seeds before you use them. Oh, mm, it also makes your mm -hmm. kitchen smell really good. And <laughs> cumin is used in just all kinds of things around the world, all dang kinds. Um, it's an integral ingredient in lots of curries or masalas. It's in taco and chili seasoning here in the States. It's in soups and stews and shawarma and falafel. You can put it uh, on as a, as a rub on like meat or vegetables before you roast them. You can put it in savory breads. I have also seen dessert recipes that include um, warm spices, including a little bit of cumin as well. I have quite the range of cravings right now. Just <laughs> a whole gamut of things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was, I was, I was looking at this recipe for like for like roasted apples or pears that includes Ooh. just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit of cumin, and with like some like cinnamon and cloves or something like that. And I am so interested in this right now. Mm. Now I'm like, what if you made some caramel sauce and you put a little bit of cumin in it? Oh my goodness, <sighs> Lauren. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Next stop. The <laughs> cravings are already too much. Uh, well, what about the nutrition? Oh, you're generally not eating enough to like really make an impact. Uh, but as with many foods that we use as, as spices, cumin packs a lot of flavor for a low caloric punch, which can be great if that's a thing that you're going for. Um, it's also got a smattering of vitamins and minerals, a little bit of protein and fat and fiber in there. Uh, various studies have also been looking into the potential medicinal properties of cumin, including uh, controlling insulin and cholesterol levels, and as an anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial. Um, this does match up with some of cumin's long-standing uses for various ailments, um, mostly like gastrointestinal stuff. So that's interesting. Um, but uh, beyond beyond those uses, in particular, a, a lot of the more rigorous studies to date have been in uh, in rats rather than in humans. So, you know, saver motto, as always, human bodies are complicated. More research is necessary before ingesting a medicinal quantity of anything. You should probably consult a medical professional, which we are not. Very much not. Nope. Yep. Mm -mm. Arno. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we do have some numbers for you. We do. So some sources claim that behind black pepper, cumin is one of the most popular spices in the world. And some even put it at the second most popular spice in the world. Although I feel like we've said that about other spices in yeah. past episodes. So I'm like, yeah. Mm. I'm like, according yeah. to what? And like, they never, the, the, the kind of article that says that never mm -hmm. really lists a source for that information. Right. So I'm always sort of like, well, all right, cool. You like cumin. That's great. Happy for it's you. It's popular. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll give you it's popular. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, India exports the most by far, nearly 200 million kilos a year as of 2018. Um, uh, something like 
three-quarters of the world's production of cumin comes from India. Uh, Turkey is also up and coming. Um, uh, as of 2018, some 10 million kilos that year. And uh, Syria and the UAE have also been major producers. I've seen varying numbers about who imports the most, but it seems like the U.S., the U.K., Vietnam, and Bangladesh are all key importers. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, according to an NPR article from 2015, <laughs> Cuban is in nine of the 23 items on Chipotle's menu. Uh, <laughs> and makes even sense. if that's changed, I imagine it's still highly involved. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in the words of researcher and author of the book, Human, Camels, and Caravans, Gary Nabhan, quote, once it has been introduced into a new land and culture, cumin as a way of insinuating itself deeply into the local cuisine, which is why it has become one of the most commonly used spices in the world. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that, that that cumin made it into the title of that book because it could have been, you know, any... I, I guess any other spice with that with that good alliteration, that good alliterative mm-hmm. C in the beginning, but uh, but cumin, he chose cumin. Yes, and the history of why he chose cumin is extremely fascinating. It is, and we are going to get into that history after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, Cumin has been around so long and been in use so long that pinning down when and where it originated has been a great headache for historians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And because of that, some think that this is one of the most perfect examples of trade, cultural adaption, and culinary globalization, that it earns the name in the title of a book about that subject. Um, The general consensus is that it originated somewhere in Asia and or the Mediterranean, but places all over have been suggested as this, this place of origin. Historians also believe that because of the smell, um, especially when roasted, and how well cumin complements so many ingredients and flavors the world over, it was domesticated and adopted into cuisines fairly quickly, or at least the decision to cultivate and domesticate it was made fairly quickly when it was introduced. Um, experts claim that folks were harvesting and using cumin in what is now Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and surrounding areas during biblical times. Yeah, and it's mentioned a couple times, at least in the Bible, um, in both the New and Old Testaments um, as a precious crop and also as potential currency for tithing. Yes, and more on that later. Um, Mm -hmm. And going back to that NPR article, cumin is thought in some circles to be the only English word that we can directly trace back to Sumerian, the oldest known written language. And -hmm. if that's the case, people were writing about cumin as far back as 4,000 years ago. Which I think is just really cool. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> cumin shows up in the oldest known recipe collection as well. The Yale Culinary Tablets from 1750 BCE, written in what is now Iran. The inclusion of cumin in these tablets suggests that Mesopotamians really liked spice in their food. 
Records indicate that cumin was already fairly established in the Tigris-Euphrates region by the time ancient Egyptians and Mesopotamian civilizations arose. Again, it was likely used both culinarily and medicinally, perhaps particularly for digestive ailments, including parasites and gastrointestinal disease, as well as breath fresheners. I love how often breath fresheners <laughs> comes up. I mean, right? I guess yeah. they didn't really have too many options back then. Cumin may have also been involved in the embalming mummification process in Egypt and sometimes might have been a part of ceremonial offerings in Egypt. In the 9th century BCE, an Assyrian king decided to throw a celebratory feast at the end of the construction of his new capital in what is now Iran. Um, and later, when he was regaling others about the amount of food uh, served at this feast, he mentioned how much cumin was involved, uh, perhaps specifically as a table condiment. And yeah, the timeline of when cumin arrived and where is a bit murky. Historians theorize Arab traders first transported cumin to India and the Phoenicians transported it up to North Africa and the Iberian Peninsula and various traders and groups introduced it to other parts of Africa. The ancient Greeks used it as a table spice and they also believed it to be an aphrodisiac. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I cannot speak to the aphrodisiac part, but uh but the ancient Greeks did have like a like a separate uh condiment container that would have been placed out on the table just for cumin. Yeah. Yeah. Um and in ancient Rome as well. Ancient Romans uh they made a lot of use of cumin in their cooking. It was commonplace enough that it was a part of a joke about how common. It was in a first century <laughs> Roman novel. Okay. A, yep. Um, a collection of Greek medical texts from around the 5th or 4th century BCE recommended cumin as an ingredient that could prevent a woman's uterus from moving around her stomach and causing, quote, hysteria. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. If y'all didn't know, um, the, the root of the word hysterical uh, comes from this belief that uh, that the uterus would just migrate around in a woman's body, wreaking all kinds of havoc. Um, mm -hmm. So that's not so. that's not what it does. That's I no. <laughs> still still not a medical expert, but I could tell you with absolute certainty <laughs> that that is not how it do. <laughs> this is one thing Saver can really yep. <laughs> confirm. Yep. Um, According to the Epicurus, uh, the Egyptians used cumin to season cooked fish and marrows. Um, the Epicurus also listed cumin as an essential ingredient every home cook should have. Like if you're stuck in mm. your, your pantry, cumin needs to be involved. Okay. Um, our pal Pliny wrote of cumin, Yet of all the seasonings which gratify a fastidious taste, cumin is the most agreeable. Okay. Mm. All right. Yeah. Um, he also wrote that it was frequently used to treat stomach ailments and that if a woman smelled it during sex, she was more likely to conceive. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. In, in medieval England, cumin seeds were prized enough that they were used as a form of currency. Uh, to pay rent, some landlords accepted a pound of pepper and a pound of cumin for the entire year. It was even accepted as tithes 
in some instances at this mm-hmm. time. Uh, historians believe this suggests that the, that this was a, quote, warm period in England, um, warm enough to grow cumin in England. However, cumin saw so much use in England in medicines and food that even if they were growing it there, it wasn't enough that they didn't have to import some as well. King Henry III's estate would buy cumin 20 pounds at a time or about nine kilos at a Oof. time. All right. Mm-hmm. According to Gerard's Herbal, which was published at the end of the 1500s, cumin seed, quote, scattereth and breaketh all the windiness of the stomach, belly, guts, and matrix. Huh. Scattereth mm-hmm. and breaketh all the windiness. Ah, uh, wow. I love it. <laughs> See, that's wonderful. That is so much more poetic than being like, oh, man, it helps you get rid of gas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do enjoy it. Scattereth and breaketh. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Spanish settlers planted cumin in the Americas in the 1500s and 1600s. It was being grown in modern-day New Mexico by 1600, and it really cemented itself as an ingredient in the region's cuisine. Not that much time at all. Um, Anglo-Americans at large got their first taste of the mix of cumin and chiles, Um, as they moved out west in the 19th century. And then the people who were moving out west started in turn adding cumin into their own cuisines. Lady Bird Johnson, the first lady from Texas, (laughs) uh, (laughs) shared her recipe for Pedronales River Chile. Um, One teaspoon of cumin seed, uh, and this was written in Spanish, was on the ingredients list. And this is often pointed out as a indicator that cumin was really entering the U.S. mainstream at large. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And public awareness of cumin in the U.S. grew in the 1960s when restaurants like Taco Bell were growing in popularity, and then again when South Asian immigrants arrived and brought their culinary traditions with them, and a lot of them involving cumin. So good. <laughs> so good in so many things. Yes, yeah. Uh oh, and I and I and I do I do love that. I do love that quote um that you gave us right before the beginning of the history section of of right just just the way that it 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 really works itself into to kind of like the base of so many cuisines that it's touched. Yeah. Yeah, me too, cuz I was just thinking of like often I try to think of all the dishes I've used it in and it's just such a variety and just my own bubble of experience and then thinking sure. of like yeah you can get indian food and mexican food and just food from all over and cumin is involved and like significantly involved yeah yeah and um and and right and you 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 wind up with these very different flavor profiles from all of the other ingredients that are involved uh, mm-hmm. but but right just that 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 kind of like that kind of like sort of like baseline earthy spicy warm note and Mm. oh so nice so nice yes you know what i actually just made a um, fajita chicken soup Um, oh uh-huh oh it's good it's good (laughs) but it has cumin in it but you know what i added i i have like a a lot of fresh oregano. I think it's oregano. I'm pretty sure it's oregano that's growing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, in a pot that I have. And I was like, what can I use this in? I'll just put it in here. It was actually a really nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> the oregano 
oh, it just added a lot. But like the Cuban and oregano coming together. Oh, it's yeah. Been lovely. I, oh, goodness. No, that might be one of the other Cumans. I was about to say that the time all um, or time, time all um, might be one of the other uh, compounds that shows up in cumin. But, but now that I'm thinking about it, I think that was one of the things I read about black cumin while I was still trying to <laughs> suss out the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we have to say about cumin for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that after we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. 
celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listen to Love. Letting some cumin in. Enjoying the lovely results. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we I don't know if we matched sound on that one, but I definitely got the vibe. Yes. <laughs> the vibe is what matters. <laughs> um, uh, Sheldon wrote. You did something on labeling, but it continues to fascinate me. And I'm just sending you this food for thought for thoughts about food. (laughs) I'm looking at a can of coconut milk. There is printed information right on the can, but a paper sticker covered that with other information. I peeled it off to compare the two. I'm guessing that what is printed on the can is aimed at Europe because it gives the information in English, French, and German. The paper label had English and French, which I'm guessing is here for Canada. Uh It's the differences that I find interesting. Hmm. European serving size is 100 milliliters, which makes sense since the math is easy to compare with other things. The Canadian serving size is 83 milliliters, so that makes it difficult to compare with other things. Oh, 83 milliliters is one-third cup. Doing the math. Numbers agree, but the European version doesn't have cholesterol, potassium, calcium, and iron. (laughs) But there are other differences. (laughs) After opening, in Europe, you can keep it for two days in the refrigerator. But for Canada, you can keep it for three days in the fridge. Hmm. (laughs) The ingredients. In Europe, it says that it's 60% coconut extract and water. In Canada, it's 99.95% coconut milk and polysorbate 60. Again, hmm. (laughs) When the border opens, I'm going to go down to the States and get a can to see how it's labeled there. I'll bet anything it's still different. If nothing else, it shows how labeling is politically influenced. Yeah. Yeah. Or or even if not like like politically necessarily, then certainly based upon uh the the research and the legal system in whatever country it's coming from. Yeah. First of all, I love this. I love that you're really looking into these yeah. differences. But yeah, I mean, certainly when we talk in a lot of these episodes, you know, you've got the European Union passing laws versus what the United States is passing laws around. Um, and yeah, the measurements that are accepted and it does make it quite confusing sometimes when I've, I've certainly been in the grocery store several times where I'm like calculating, um, based on what the label is and based on what I know and what I don't know, and I got to bring out my phone and do some <laughs> calculations, but I would be really interested once you get to the U S which the border has opened uh, if you're vaccinated, just as of recently, so... Okay, all right. You huh. know, 
Yeah, I would love to hear what the comparison is. Yeah. Oh, I, I do. Yeah, I do always love that in, um, in international supermarkets here in the States, finding different forms of labeling and trying to suss out. Like a lot of the time they have an English one printed on there, um, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's only in the native language. And I'm kind of like, OK, what could this possibly mean? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. We've gotten some gifts from listeners that have been fun with that as well, where it'll be like uh, Kit Kat that's only got, you know, Japanese writing on uh-huh. it or something like that. We're just staring at it like, oh, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this means? What is this picture of? <laughs> and sometimes you eat it and it doesn't necessarily have a flavor profile that you're super familiar with. And mm. then I don't know if you're me, like you get out your like weird Japanese dictionaries and try to cross-reference, but like it's been a really long time since you've taken Japanese. And then like two weeks later, you're like, oh, it's chestnut flavored. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's it. Like that's yeah. it's kind of... <laughs> Just a cure occurs to you, like, oh yeah, that's yeah, what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit anticlimactic, but it was still delicious, so that's mm-hmm. fine. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> uh, Tracy wrote, "I'm listening to your liquid smoke episode as I type, and a few things of note popped into my mind. Uh, fruit flies." I have a good friend who always had fruit flies in his college apartment. One night they had a party and there were some mostly empty beer bottles left out. In the morning, they found the bottles filled with the flies who had gone in for the beer and never made it out of the bottle. Ever since, he has recommended taking an empty bottle with a neck, such as a wine bottle, and uh, putting something attractive to the flies in the bottom, like beer or sugar water. The flies are attracted to the liquid but have a hard time getting back out. I did this on my patio last summer and it worked well to keep the flies at bay. Perhaps worth a shot. McRibs! Please do a McRib episode. I'm particularly interested in the economics of it. I've long had a theory that the McRib's limited availability was tied to pork surpluses, meaning the market price would drop and make it cheap for McDonald's to get and sell. Or maybe it was a limited supply thing. Since meat prices are so high due to the pandemic and the McRib is back, I think my theory is wrong, and I would love to know more. Ooh, yes. Yeah. I know there's been some recent articles about maybe not this aspect of the McRib, but how it does impact the, like, really impacts the pork market. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Well, I mean, the same way that um, that chicken nuggets had such yeah. a huge impact on the chicken market in the United States, so. Yeah, I would I would love to learn more, definitely, because it's one of those things where, I just hear people talking about it and getting so excited about it. And like, it, it's in the news. And yeah. I'm just kind of like, huh, What? Yeah. I'd like yeah. to learn more. <laughs> but Yeah. I don't think I've ever had one. No. I know you haven't eaten at McDonald's in like over 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since I was four years old. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Would... Would your curiosity stop? I, I mean, like, like, would you like, like, if if we went to a McDonald's together, uh huh, and like I got a McRib, yeah, would you try it? Mm. <laughs> Probably <laughs> no, but I can't say one hundred percent no. So the closest I got to ever breaking this was when I was in China, and everyone loved the McFlurry. Oh, everybody uh-huh. loved the McFlurry, and one night, like. It was easier to order things for me in Americanized restaurants. 
It doesn't mean I ate mostly in Americanized restaurants, but sometimes when you were like <laughs> tired and it was like 4 a.m., you were looking for the easy thing to order. Sure. No, I totally see you. Yeah. 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 And that I there was one night I got all the way up to the front of a McDonald's. I wanted that McFlurry. Oh, wow. I looked the person in the eye and I turned away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, wow, dude. Yeah. So I can't say 100% I wouldn't, but it probably I wouldn't. <laughs> I would love to hear about it, though, and I would okay. love to research it. All right. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I don't want to, like, like, like present you with a taxing moral quandary or anything like that you know i uh, no pressure no mcrib pressure Um. no but i do i want to learn about it more honestly like i said i do get a real fascination with these chain restaurants and what takes off and where it takes off and why it takes off where it takes off uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And I, I, I always wonder with, with very specific stuff like that, like like maybe, I don't know, yeah, maybe we could do an episode about like like two or three of these kind of like special edition dishes yeah. that wind up going out. Yeah, yeah. I would love to do that, honestly. Um, <laughs> something I'm kind of fascinated in, and that's the truth. Um, also, thank you for the fruit fly note. Uh they they are so yeah. persistent, but I'm they you know, are. I'm gonna try. I'll try this, and I really appreciate the note. Um, and and thanks to both of you for writing in. Um, yeah. we always love hearing from you. If you would like to email us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year 
queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.